Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I am Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of the series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. Today's episode begins our third year of this podcast. Time sure does fly. To inaugurate our third year, we are initiating a three-month series focusing on value-based care solely from the view of the health plan. We planned this special series because the health plan is at the center of movement to value-based care. Therefore, it's very important that patients and providers understand the goals and needs of the health plan. Self-funded employers who probably represent the burden for the bulk of commercial healthcare costs also need to understand the view of the health plan. So to begin this series, we have chosen one of the most eloquent speakers I have had the experience to meet with, Dr. David Johnson, who is the Medical Director for Value Transformation at Blue Cross of North Carolina. In this position, Dr. Johnson provides a clinical perspective to the design of alternate payment models. He facilitates collaborative partnerships with providers, and he implements innovative care delivery models that are intended to improve the value of specialty care delivery across the state. He's an oncologic urologist by training, which is impressive by itself. I'm especially impressed, though, with the fact that he also has a degree in economics from Duke. I suspect he pulls from his economic roots in his work with value-based care. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you so much. Uh, It's really great to be here, and I appreciate the kind words. Well, I could have said more, but, you know, we have time constraints. We always refer to our universe of value-based care as the world of the four Ps, patients, providers, plans, and payers. The view from each of these four Ps has been quite different in my experience. So my first question to you is, how would you describe the view of value-based care from the position of the health plan? The framing of value-based care from the payer side, you know, is really that the the prevailing fee-for-service system um, has made it very difficult uh, for payers to successfully implement mechanisms to uh, control costs and improve quality. Um, and not only have these, these uh, p- traditional payer levels, levers failed, but they, they cause a lot of provider abrasion, you know, namely utilization management, prior authorization, essentially anything that... Um, is perceived to um, threaten the physician's autonomy or perceived sort of overstepping of the payer's role in the the sanctity of the relationship between a a patient and a provider. So not only are they not successful, but they're not wanted really in in that relationship. It's not really working well for for patients either. Um, These things can lead to higher out-of-pocket costs, delays in care, um, you know, restricted choice, um, you know, these traditional payer levers that really aren't, you know, favorable for patients, even though ultimately they're designed to contain the cost and make healthcare more affordable. So essentially, as long as these prevailing underlying payment mechanisms persist, there really aren't good solutions to controlling runaway costs, uh, the incentive to do more rather than focus on what's best for the patient and the population's health. 
And so the, the idea of value-based care is that if we can sort of fundamentally shift how we pay, um, this is sort of an underlying requirement, not necessarily a sil silver bullet or the, you know, the final answer. If we can shift how we pay, um, this is sort of the first step to being able to align financial success of care delivery organizations and those who are providing healthcare and keeping our populations healthy. Um, aligning that financial success to outcomes that are actually desirable for patients, populations, society, and even providers. And so, you know, the idea and, and the reason that I started my career in, in value-based care on the payer side was that particularly for specialists, the sort of avenues and mechanisms to be rewarded or incentivized in this way are very limited. And so the idea was to start by flipping the incentive structure so that providers and, and the healthcare delivery system is properly rewarded for delivering effective upstream healthcare uh, rather than just um, you know, being highly compensated and rewarded for dealing with patients when they're sick or they're acutely ill um, and have a, a need for an intervention or a hospitalization. And I think one of the starkest examples is, um, you know, can we make it a better business model to manage hypertension and diabetes and other factors that go into the development and progression of kidney disease to prevent dialysis rather than make it so lucrative to actually give dialysis that is not only is it bankrupting the system, what, what patient wants, wants to be on dialysis and have kidney failure? So how do we align the business model with what's actually good for patients and populations? In so many cases, the health plan is administering the, the, the care. Rather than rather than bearing the the financial burden, which is then on the the uh, uh, self-funded employer, whereas there is a, a certain percentage of your book of business where Blue Cross of North Carolina takes the takes the risk. How do you see value-based care in those two environments? Is it the same, or does it does it differ? Oh, absolutely. So in I would say the answer is yes and no. Um, it's the same conceptual framework of that high-level answer I just gave you, um, the high-level goals and motivations to drive affordability, quality, uh, and a better patient experience are the same for our uh, self-funded and, and um, uh, fully insured. Um, what's different and something that I've had to learn uh, being on the payer side for the first time is is sort of the business justifications and the business levers that are needed um, to not only sort of get support internally for this type of uh, value-based care redesign on the payer side, um, but also what are the nuances with the, the implementation and operational processes that are required to stand up a value-based payment model or a bundled payment or a longitudinal condition-based vendor arrangement um, for you know, our um, employed uh, clients versus our, um, our fully insured underwritten population. Um, a lot of that has to do with the mechanics of, of accountability, um, the uh, sort of actuarial exercise of how you calculate um, 
and pass along savings. Um, and I think at a high level, the passing along of savings for our fully insured, you know, we are able to pass that along as, as lower premiums and ultimately increased affordability, which is really one of the tenets of, of the move to value. And as a nonprofit um, payer that serves the, the entire population, um, for our ASO groups, it's the same goal, but functionally the, the savings, you're right, it's not sort of seen by, by Blue Cross itself, but we're really able to pass those savings along um, as lower rates and become more competitive with other national um, payers that are uh, sort of inherently more efficient and have lower price point for administrative services. And we wanna be a health plan that really is an active partner in helping keep the employees of our clients healthy. And so when we develop these programs um, that manage population health, um, not only is it you know, a numbers game of, of trying to pass those savings along um, and prove and quantify those savings, but it's also to say, we want your employees to be very happy with the type of um, uh, health insurance that they have through their employer, um, but also because they're healthier, they're, you know, we're actively helping manage their, uh, their chronic illnesses. If they have a, a healthcare need, they're steered to the, the most appropriate place to get that, the lowest out-of-pocket cost uh, type of place. But ultimately the goal for both lines of business is to support um, better health at a lower cost. Getting a little bit more granular here, you know, most, most providers that I know are surprised when I tell them that probably the majority of patients in a blues plan are funded by a self-funded employer. They're shocked to hear that. They, right. have, the, the usual assumption amongst physicians is that the health plan has risk on everybody. And I, it's something that creates nuances in value-based care. So I can imagine your situation where you're trying to roll out a value-based care program and you've got 30 employers you've got to explain this to. And you've got to get buy-in from those 30 employers, as opposed if it's on your self-insured group, you can make that decision internally. But when it's an ASO business, this, this is another challenge that you have to get over. That's absolutely right. And, and I would say, yeah, we have to first get through to our sales and marketing team before we can even get to our, <laughs> our employers. Um, so it, it goes, goes back to sort of the complexity of what we're trying to do within a system that was built on the insurance side and on the payer side to do something really well. And that something is to process individual claims, adjudicate them, and then make, make the payments back um, based on appropriateness and, and medical policy. Just to finish up this question, let us let the listeners know what, what have you been your, your biggest success stories and what have been your biggest challenges? So, I'll start with the challenges. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge um, starting on the payer side, brand new, um, you know, for me personally, learning what I, what I didn't know and asking the questions that I didn't know to ask and understanding the sort of ripple effects and downstream impacts of implementing what might seem like a simple reimbursement concept. Um, and sort of the 
realization of the butterfly flapping its wings in, in our value transformation group has, you know, tsunami effects across the, the entire enterprise and organization. Um, you know, I think from a from an enterprise transformation standpoint, the capabilities to create these new mechanisms of payment um, that, like I just mentioned, you know, aren't built into our baseline capabilities as a, a legacy payer um, is, is really challenging. So it's addressing not only just the concept, what is the best way to, to make these payments based on the clinical scenario that we're that we're tackling or the types of providers or risk-bearing entities that we're working with. It's, can we even do this? Is this allowed by compliance? And what are the regulations around these different payment models? How do we communicate that to, to different providers? Not only the specialists, but the sort of foundational accountable care organization partners that we spent uh, many years uh, cultivating um, how do these new payment models impact um, the ability for accountable care organizations to, to manage population health? And then, you know, I just mentioned the sales and marketing, but, you know, how do you um, factor in the, the job of, um, of our uh, sales and marketing team to, to have um, ASO clients um, and, and to administer healthcare uh, in this way? Um, the other thing around provider um, challenges is sort of the external market forces um, in their local area. Um, COVID threw an entirely new um, curveball into our move to value. And in some ways it elucidated the need for um, alternative ways to receive reimbursement and sustain a business when patients can't walk through the door. Um, in other ways, providers were focused on staying afloat and, you know, weren't exactly enthusiastic about experimenting in new ways for reimbursement um, in, in you know, such a challenging uh, time that we had never seen before. So what, what's your biggest success story? So I think the biggest success story was um, implementing a... Um, a population-based, value-based payment model for advanced kidney disease um, sort of statewide. So um, we rolled out a program called Advanced Kidney Care under the sort of the Blue Premier value program umbrella. Um, and this was our, our first um, sort of condition or longitudinal care model in the specialty arena. We'd been doing bundled payments for episodes of surgical care for some time. But you know, going back to this idea of can you create incentives and accountability for preventing the progression of disease and have the, the business model be predicated on the success of doing that. This was our, our first, uh, first success in doing that um, statewide. We were able to partner with um, two risk-bearing entities and divided up our commercial population and most of our MA population across the state um, and are holding these entities accountable for total cost of care of these members based on a diagnosis of CKD4, 5, or end-stage renal disease. They are accountable for the members no matter where they actually receive their care, and these entities are responsible for engaging the provider community and sort of wrapping their services around 
the, um, the existing network of PCPs and nephrologists and dialysis organizations. So they really add value to that, um, but also you know, maintain and preserve um, that patient provider relationship. Um, we had some um, uh, optimistic estimates of savings um, and at the end of year one, we're trending um, well in advance of those, those expectations, which is savings we can pass along um, to both our ASO clients and our uh, fully insured population as mentioned above. Wow. Kudos to you. That, that is definitely a success story. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Dr. David Johnson, Medical Director for Value Transformation at Blue Cross of North Carolina. You made a statement about the success of your chronic kidney disease initiative. That sounds like those doctors are, those providers are at risk for a large population. And it's not a point solution but you referred earlier to COVID and something we have seen, I think that's resulted in part from COVID and from the move to virtualization are the development of point solutions. Companies that are coming at one little point in the care model and they're coming up with a value-based solution for one little aspect of care. Uh, you must get inundated with uh, companies uh, providing point solutions. How do you deal with that? That is, that's true. Um, and that is not to take away from sort of the innovation and the ingenuity of these solutions. And a lot of these, these point solutions are brilliant and effective and absolutely needed in our care delivery system the, the challenge that we have is given the amount of resources it requires to create these value-based arrangements and these sort of alternative payment mechanisms, the, the scope of services under accountability or the, the amount of, of healthcare that can actually be brought under sort of this accountable risk structure has to be significant and large enough to invest a extraordinary amount of time and money and human capital um, on the payer side to, to do. This is, I think, something also that CMMI is, is starting to understand as well. If a payer can create total cost of care accountability with a provider entity, like an ACO, for example, I think the, the best long-term solution is for those providers who are now at total cost of care accountability to figure out what sort of point solutions will drive better care for their population for them to succeed in the value-based payment model that they've already set up with Blue Cross and hopefully with the national payers and hopefully with Medicare. It's challenging as a payer, even with one that has such high market share and commercial as Blue Cross, to tell a provider for one specific payer, we'd like you to use this physical therapy point solution, for example. What if they want to use a different one for one of our competitors? Or what if there was some other preference? Um, it's impossible for 
the providers to be able to keep track of how they deliver care and make that different and customized for each, um, each payer. And so I think the, the ideal end state is that collectively on the payer side, incentives have been flipped in the way that we've talked about before. And then we allow the, the providers, whether it be the accountable PCP organizations and hopefully the specialists in alignment with the PCP organizations to figure out how best to incorporate either homegrown point solutions or innovative care models that they develop on their own that work best for their local practice and their environment. Or if it's partnering with one of these many um, very effective and, and promising uh, point solutions, whether it's tech enabled or whether it's sort of human centered, hands-on community-based type of intervention, we allow the provider community to actually to lead that. And I think that's really what you have done with, with SonarMD is you've said, we've developed a way for GI physicians to, to manage these, these diseases that works for our practice environment. We figured that out. And then we've gone to payers and said, now help us make this a sustainable business model because it's, it's a high value way to deliver healthcare that's aligned with payers' goals around value and providers, the way they want to practice and patients' goals. And now we have to fix the, the perverse financial incentives that make that difficult to, uh, to implement and scale. One of the things we hear often, I'm going to put my sonar hat on for a second, my, maybe my GI hat. Um, we often hear from the health plans, well, GI is not our focus this year. How, at the health plan level, how do you decide what's in focus? How do you prioritize what specialties uh, should be focused on for value-based care? I think it's got to be different from uh, you know plan to plan. Um, since I've only been at one, um, you know, I think what I would imagine the sort of top line view is, is, you know, what is our, our several largest drivers of, of cost on, on an aggregate basis. But I think even more important than that, I think that's a good starting point, but more important than that, are there mechanisms that exist to bring sort of as much of the care in those specialty areas under a value-based arrangement? Do those exist on the CMMI level? For example, the joint replacement bundle, the CJR bundle on, on Medicare made it very easy for commercial plans to also create a joint replacement bundle. The idea of a sort of a commercial oncology care model makes a lot of sense because providers can change their clinical practice once they can do the things that you need to do to be successful in OCM and also be successful in a commercial six month episode of care for medical oncology. We're doing the same for radiation oncology. There's a, a mandatory radiation oncology bundle uh, proposed by CMMI. And so we use that as a sort of a factor in prioritizing which bundle did we wanna do next? And we made every effort to design it so that it would be very easy trans easily translatable from the CMMI model to the commercial model, at least on from the provider's perspective of how they manage patients. 
if they're successful in one, they'll be successful in the other. And then finally, it's the provider community. Um, I spoke at the North Carolina GI Society probably over two years ago now, and the enthusiasm and the, the fact that a lot of GI practices were already using SonarMD because they felt it was the best way to manage patients is and should be, it should continue to be a huge factor in how we prioritize um, what, what specialties we want to engage and which provider communities uh, are going to create the, the most successful partnerships going forward. Well, we've, we've touched a lot of subjects. You and I could talk for hours here. I want to close with one question. Um, what do you see as the benefit of value-based care from a patient's point of view? How, how do you weigh value to a patient? I think in, in my utopian view of, of the future where we've figured out value-based care and we're all truly aligned, the, the outcomes that a patient cares about and wants for their health or for their family member is the easiest thing for a provider to, to do for them and also the best business case that it is it is the sort of the path of least resistance for the healthcare system both the payer and the provider to be working with the patient to get an outcome that they're happy with both from their health and from their wallet's perspective nice way to end the show here i you know I wish you luck. <laughs> you have a, you're like we are. You know, I use these lines at Sonar. I'm like a little tugboat trying to steer a container ship through a narrow canal. And I'm sure you're in that container ship trying to get it steered. So, you know, my, my, my uh, you know, I, I, I live in awe of the people who are truly trying to make change on the inside and and uh, I wish you nothing but success in this regard. Well, I appreciate it. And I will say that um, provider partners and innovators like you uh, on the provider side are an absolutely essential and key component to the success of all this. We all play a role. So I appreciate what you do as well. Well, this one's never going away. So anyway, thank you, David. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com. Lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join us.